Hello, I'm Brian Ballantyne and I am here with Cameron Cannon and we're with Connected by Community where we're a podcast brought to you to bring you interest in our community about nonprofits, businesses and organizations and we are excited today to have Tanya Communis. That was perfect. I did it right. It was like perfect. community. We were talking about this and my Southernese may not work with a Spanish name. Is that right? It's Spanish, but I am nowhere near Spanish. <laughs> I'm from New Jersey. So. Okay. Well, it can be close, right? Yeah. We'll, we'll go with that. We'll go with it. So we were practicing that for the folks that didn't know that mm-hmm. uh, before we joined. So thanks for coming and thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Awesome. Well, tell yeah. us a little bit about yourself. What? What makes you here in this area and what you what you're 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 doing both personally and professionally? Sure. Well, happy to. So I've been here, um, we've been here for five years, my husband and I, and I have two children, an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. And um, we've been here for five years, but it's kind of like coming back home again because um, I did move here in my 20s when I went to Wofford College. So all the terriers out there. Um, and we bounced around a little bit following my husband around with his job. But everywhere I went, I was always working for um, Department of Social Services. That's kind of my my passion for sure from a professional standpoint. Um, and when we got here to South Carolina, which is in Greenville, this is where our family is now, um, I really just fell into um, a child haven or came across a child haven, which is where I work now, what we're going to be talking about. And um, I just am so grateful because I feel like I have discovered something that I didn't know about and that everyone needs to know about. So so that's where I am professionally. And then personally, too, um, I talked about the Department of Social Services, but I actually was um, in the Department of Social Services for um, child welfare. And I was adopted when I was three years old to the most amazing family that really uh, gave me the resources, the love, everything that I needed to overcome a lot of that childhood trauma um, and get the services I needed. At the time when I was growing up, I, they didn't have things as like therapy and um, special uh, child care centers or programs that were really focused on the um, healing the child and understanding that children who have suffered from childhood trauma, abuse, neglect, um, childhood mal- uh, family malfunction, such as domestic violence or um, a family member struggling with mental illness or in- incarceration, um, all of those things have such an impact on, on young children, on developing brains and minds of children. And you know all the research that in the, that's done in the past several 30 years or so has kind of has all shown that if we don't address the the impacts of abuse and neglect of children, which is a really severe problem nationally um, in South Carolina, it's it's a very big problem. Um, You know, these children are just set up to fail. They're going to go into these. They're not ready to go into school. Um, They they literally don't have um, the ability to to learn. you know, a, a curriculum. These are children who are going in, who come from environments, home environments um, that are, they have a lot of adversity and they have a lot of things that are going on that the fact them coming to school and learning their ABCs and is just not possible. So we need to figure out how can we um, help these children at a younger age 
Um, how can we prevent abuse and neglect from happening? How can we effectively treat it? And how can we break the cycles of abuse and neglect? So that's kind of at the core of what we do. But that was my long answer. No, it's a great answer. <laughs> And so I guess those services aren't being met necessarily by governmental services, right? Um, and in other words, uh, we have safety nets in our society, perhaps, but a lot of things fall through the cracks. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I saw an interesting, I don't know if you if they call it a meme or whatever on Facebook, and it was, and I'm paraphrasing, it says something to the fact we can raise strong, healthy children, or we can try to fix it later, and it's going to be a lot more expensive and a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm assuming y'all, your goal is to maybe fix or catch some of those problems uh, and, and prevent them and nourish them quicker instead mm-hmm. of waiting till they're out of control and they're in the prison system or some other issue. You're exactly right. That's I mean, and we and the data backs all of that up, too. I mean, if we look at the state of South Carolina and us nationally, we can easily see where we fall, where our children are faring, how our families are faring. What, and that's really our community. I mean, when we look at the health of our community, we're looking at we have to look at our children, um, our most vulnerable community uh, populations. And there's too many children that are not getting the help that they need at an early age. And then they're going through, you know, five years of their life, they go into the public school system. And then, you know, it's they're getting referred to DSS and to the systems that really are there to respond to what has already happened. And our thing is, is that there are solutions and ways that we can help these children and families much sooner to get them on the right track and help these children from the get-go and not possession them to fail. Yeah, and I, I'm, you know, I'm not a teacher, but the teachers really aren't equipped to do that. They got their hands full trying to teach. And I um, I'm, have some teachers in my family, and I know one of them, for instance, had worked actually in inner city Atlanta. And it's really difficult for that teacher in that setting at an elementary school level to solve society's problems mm-hmm. and teach writing and arithmetic and the things that need to have been taught. Mm-hmm. And no matter how hard she tried or what she did, mm-hmm. she couldn't fix the crack problem that was at home yes. or the not the dad or mom not being there. Yes. Um, so it sounds like that's where you guys really step in. That's exactly right. And I'm the um, when you talked about the school teachers, um, that is right. I mean, our our educators are there to educate children, but they're also expecting the children to be ready to come into the system, able to learn physically, socially, behaviorally, and that they're not. These they're just, there's children who are coming in, and with days they're either getting suspended or expelled, or um, you know they have to find or refer to DSS or all these different things that are not good for the child. The child, I mean, children need to have safe, consistent routine environments. Um, there's so much science that that now tells us about the. Um, how the mental health of children starts at infancy. And, um, you know, mental health of children, which is really the social, emotional, how they process um, emotions, think about themselves, think about the world, um, think about their confidence and the value. That is all developed and determined by the context in the context of the parents, the caregivers, mental health and abilities. That's the only thing that they know. So we have to look at the caregivers. And so what we get at and the thing that we're really, um, that makes us unique and effective is that we know that this is a multi-generational um, problem and there it's a very complex problem. And so we have to work with the caregivers and reteach them 
Um, we have to remember where they came from. This is not something, this is a lot of learned behavior is, um, is what's happening. Our caregivers aren't equipped to under, to know what, um, you know, healthy attachment maybe looks like. Some of them don't have the resources to um, find childcare. Uh, so there's just so many things that I think we just as a society, as a community need to shine a light on those because our community is only as healthy as all the people who live in it. I would say one thing to add to that too is obviously I'm young. I just graduated from Clemson in 2020. Um, Y'all both obviously have kids. I don't. Um, so I actually took an economics education class there with uh, a professor called Dr. Garcia. Um, and this, whenever I reached out to you, it was kind of, you know, brought to my attention. He was actually looking at this too. He was working with um, another person called Dr. Freeman, um, who's actually a Nobel Prize winner in economics. And what they were studying and what they're trying to get kind of into the government system, which obviously isn't working too great right now, is um, kind of what you're talking about. There's a lot of underprivileged people that aren't getting their children the education that they need. And they actually have a lot of really um, good evidence that shows that, you know, 16, 18, 21 years down the road, those people have a lot higher probability of actually, you know, maybe either ending up in jail, getting mm -hmm. on drugs, um, stuff that probably could have been avoided, but they didn't have the, you know, resources to get them in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's really cool that, you know, y'all are actually putting that into action, but, you know, kind of with what you said, I've seen it personally, there is a lot of evidence behind that. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously it's good that, you know, there's programs like, you know, a child's haven that are taking that into their own hands to try to get it, you know, going sooner than mm -hmm. sooner than the government is getting it going. Um, so that's one thing I kind of wanted to add. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm curious, what did you see when, with your work with DSS? Did, did working there, what did you see missing and falling through the cracks that a child's haven kind of fills in those gaps? Yeah, well, um, when working in Department of Social Services, we worked with uh, children all the way up to 21. Um, and those children, um, a lot of the time, were in the foster care system or were, um, you know, maybe trying, they were trying to preserve the home. Um, and so what I saw is a lot of children who, um, at the core of it, it, it was because of abuse and neglect. I mean, that is the reason that he never had the, um, the act effective treatment to overcome um, what they have. They've been moved from foster care home to foster care home, which in itself is incredibly traumatic going from one home to the next. Um, these are children who would also... Um, didn't have any hope in themselves, really thought really small of themselves because that's what they um, kind of were kind of taught up, taught to, to, to learn. Um, and the, uh, the Department of Social Services was never really made to um, raise children. And it, it just broke my heart because there was there were so many teenagers, especially that I couldn't even imagine. I just. I just felt like we failed them. Mm -hmm. You know, there was just so many opportunities. We, and you were talking about the education, and you're, um, there is this pipeline from um, a school to prison uh, pipeline theory, and it's it and in South Carolina, it, t it does talk about that. Where a really big problem is childcare suspension and expulsion. That is something that happens every day. And there's a lot of inequity that goes along with it. Um, and 
And so that's one thing that we we see, but it's also something that we think is extremely preventable. I mean, these children, a lot of these children, if they had, you know, the proper screening done with healthcare, uh, with pediatricians and had the access to, because that's what we're talking about really is that um, we're talking about we're behavioral health at the end of the day. Um, the, the Child's Haven provides behavioral health services. Um, but it comes down to healthcare really is that we need our doctors and hospital systems to be knowledgeable about how to screen for adverse childhood experiences, childhood trauma, um, at-risk families, and provide them the services that they need sooner than later so that children aren't going to a typical child care center and within literally three days getting expelled and getting told that they can't take their child because they're the child's, you know, unmanageable, their behaviors are terrible, those kinds of things. That in itself does such sends a message to these caregivers that your child's not good enough for us, that, you know, you're going to have to figure something out. And these are families who have no other place to go. They can't afford, you know, tutors or, or things like that. So they have nowhere to go. And then what happens then is that you have children, you have um, a very, you have abuse and neglect lots of times happening in the home, whether intentional or non unintentional, and then the cycles just kind of continue. So that early intervention, we really would like um, all communities to have something like a child haven, which is a therapeutic child care center, um, and be part of that prevention, that effective prevention and treatment that happens on the front end for children. So how do, how do children get to a child's haven? You know, what's the process? Uh, for them to reach out to you guys and then maybe some specific programs or yes. therapies that you guys offer so that the people in our community on this podcast understand that. Sure. So I should start too that. Um, so with all of our services are free of charge to our families. All the fa the population um, or the for to get enrolled at our at our center, all the children um, are on med are receive Medicaid. The families receive Medicaid, and also there is a um, referral process that happens. So they um, children can our families can self refer, but we also get a lot of refer referrals from hospital systems. We would like to get more from hospital systems, um, and DSS other interventional. Um, organizations that come in contact with children and assess development is really the entities that we get referrals from. Um, and so the services that we provide, um, if you were to look at, or look up a child's haven, you would see that we have a huge campus. It's not huge, I would say. It's four acres. To us, it's kind of huge. Um, it's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, that's really nice. And it's in Berea, and I just would welcome everyone to come out to it because what we're doing is really – um, I think is really exciting. We have this amazing building now. We've been around for 30 years. This is a 30-year-old nonprofit organization that was um, created um, with a, um, in the 1990s by a woman who saw a need that there were children who um, were really not able, set up to thrive. And she started a nonprofit, and it really grew and developed over time. Everything we do now, um, we can serve up to 90 children at a time. We have a beautiful 25,000 square foot campus or building on a campus, and it looks like a child care center, but it's kind of like this perfect blend between beautiful child care center and behavioral health. Like you, when you go in there, it looks like child care, but um, there is a lot of uh, focus on emotions um, 
and expression and creativity. And we are a trauma-informed center. So um, all of the tr providers that work with the children, we have a staff of um, 50. So we have therapists and providers who are um, educated as professionals um, to work with early in, in earlyhood early childhood education and behavioral health. And so what the children are receiving are is um, is therapy in the form of childcare in a way. So what it looks like is children in classrooms with providers or teachers, the, um, the ratios are much smaller, um, which is important for that individual attention to happen. Each child has an individual uh, plan of care, just like you would go into a medical office. We do an intake. Of course, everything's child-friendly. Um, but we, they have a medical diagnosis, and the diagnosis that they have, um, I mean, it's a mental health diagnosis, um, is always parent-child um, relationship issues. That is the diagnosis, and because that is the relationship that has been fractured through all of this, and that really is at the crux of what we do, is we're providing therapy to the children in the form of group therapy. They also get individual therapy and the families get family therapy. And so this is where the therapist works with both the child and the caregivers in the home or at the center. And that's extremely important because we are we use an evidence-based program to heal trauma, but also help the parents understand the diagnosis and you know, of their child. And it also teaches parent healthy parenting strategies to really um, reteach and relearn and completely change that dynamic and and create a healthy attachment between the caregiver and the child. So all of those work together for about a year. Children are with us, our families are with us, and our goal is to um, rehabilitate those the children that we are seeing measurable clinical progress that they are rehabilitated they are developmentally where they need to be they're able to function in a typical child care center um, or or school and they transition um, after that what ages do they come see you guys anywhere from three months to um, through five years old so we will we serve all preschool children gotcha I'm curious, I'm sure you, you have a lot of examples, but is there a success story that, that people might be interested in hearing, mm -hmm. you know, how you guys were able to help a family mm -hmm. and an outcome? Sure. Well, actually, um, we have an impact report that I brought you and I can, I'm going to leave it here. But um, there's a story in there um, of Jalen. His name is Jalen and he let us use his name, the family. But um, he came to us when he was two or three years old and for all the, the reasons that we had spoke about, um, extreme adversity, extreme behaviors, um, a lot of, of trauma. And we um, he worked really hard. The family or the therapist works really hard with them. The, the mother was so engaged. And that's the other part of it too, that what makes us special is that we are really there to be a friend and a resource and a companion alongside these families that they, are, they don't feel stigmatized or judged or anything like that. That's really an important piece. So um, actually just recently then, um, the, the, the mom reached out to the therapist two years and um, two years later. So the child is now in fourth grade and he now has a leadership award um, from, his, um, from his, his teacher. And I actually would love to read just kind of what she said because I think 
it really kind of spells out what we're, we're doing. So the third grade teacher says, Jalen is hardworking and persistent in his academics. He is very inquisitive, and that leads to him taking charge of his own learning through effective and efficient exploration. He shows true compassion towards his peers and always and is always lending a helping hand. And that's from his third grade teacher. So just kind of things like that that really show us that yes, we have the the qualitative, the quantitative data to show us that what we do is effective, but we also have caregivers who are still in touch with therapists coming back to us. 10, you know, five, 10 years later, telling us how grateful that they are that they had this and now that their children are thriving. So I think that's a real example of, you know, what we're doing. Yeah, I think I would say that's awesome, too. My mom always told me growing up, it's it's all about, you know, personal connections with people. That's how you, you know, meet people, kind of succeed in the world, leads to joy and happiness. And that's one thing that I've noticed, you know, just coming out of school is, you know, a great job that I have, great friends, great family in the area um, has all been through, you know, just being able to talk with people, being able to socialize. And I know that's kind of one of the things that y'all really work on is socialization. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that just shows you right there how awesome that is. And, mm -hmm. you know, you guys gave them a good chance to you know, go through the system and who knows, he might be the next president. You know, I mean, that's I awesome. I know. And then there's a picture of him in here and he has his leadership teacher or shirt on. He's so proud of himself. And that's awesome. You know, and the great thing that I that we love to see about the families is that there's just this sense when they come in, you, a lot of them just are so down and out. You know, they're just fix my child. I can't stand my like they're they really don't have a liking for one another sometimes mm -hmm. or they just don't know how to manage it. And then when um, we're working with the families over time, you just see this confidence start to come through with the child, of course, that's happening there. But then they start to fall in love with their child again and their abilities and see their child through a whole different light. And one of the things that's cool about our building is that it's designed specifically for what we do. So we have our classrooms set up, but we also have observation rooms that are set up for each classroom. So you can, it's a two-way mirror, is that right? So they can't see us. Right. Um, but we have the, um, we had the, um, the headphones as well so we can hear the audio and the whole idea is that we do like our families to come in and one part of the teaching and part of the experience is seeing their children interact with other other children and with providers in a positive context for them they just I mean they're sometimes their jaws are just like I cannot believe that that's my child and sometimes when they see that they kind of say, well, why does that child not act like that when they're at home? And then it's kind of like, wait a second, am I part of the issue? And it's like, whether then they want to know, well, what are you doing that's making my child, um, you know, want to cooperate or want to learn or want to, you know, sit at the table? And so they're curious and they see that it works. So then they want to know how to do it. And that's good because then we can teach them and they're receptive to teaching. So it's just that kind of relationship that we're trying to build and um, the relationships that, of course, that therapeutic relationship between the therapist and the caregivers and the child um, is so important. And so the work for the team that we have at a child's haven is just top notch. They, I've, I wish that all childcare centers and schools felt the way that it feels at a child's haven just because children are being healed and loved and valued and 
they know it, you know, and it's just yeah, I was hearing you talk. I'm sitting there thinking, well, they all probably should work that way. Um, <laughs> I probably need that with my own kids. Um, <laughs> so <too>. <laughs> <laughs> we all could use some self-reflection at times, right? Sure. That's um, awesome. Yeah. Well, one of the main questions that we always ask, it's kind of our signature question, I would say is um, what makes you tick? What makes me tick? Um, you know, I was thinking about the other day and I mean, I... I mean, I just am so grateful for my positive experience from something that could have not been positive. I felt like I was given a whole second chance. And for me, it's um, it's just really satisfying and gratifying and all of those great words to be in a place where I'm able maybe to do something and to just to help children, you know, never always feel welcomed and confident and valued. Um, wherever they go, you know, I just want them to feel that. So, uh, that, and it gets me obviously choked up because, um, you know, I'm very passionate about it. Yeah. That's awesome. We can definitely, definitely see that here. Mm -hmm. So, well, thanks for the work you're doing in the community. It makes a difference Mm -hmm. and and that matters. Well, well, thank you. This has been so much fun and for individuals, um, who want to come out to a child's haven, I hope they do. I think when people really get to see, um, what we do. I really think that people are open their eyes to why every community should should have one of these kind of centers within it. Um, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to replicate ourselves, create a sustainable model, um, which, by the way, when you talked about government funding, we are we do build Medicaid. So medic, um, this is under rehabilitative behavioral health services under Medicaid. So we're working with the government to try to make them help us in, um, cre- in providing this really critical service to families. So, so that's a great point so that our audience knows. Do, do you also have the community come in and help? Do people donate? Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about that and how they might could reach out to you if they wanted to participate mm-hmm. in your program. Sure. So... Um, we do a volu- we have a volunteer program. So there are several ways that people can volunteer with us, whether whether it's um, hands-on with the children. Um, of course, there's a lot of um, there's a process for all of that, the background checks and whatnot. Um, but also there's a lot of other experiences that we have for volunteers to get involved, even from helping to sanitize our buses to planting plants and um, all those kinds of things. So volunteering. Um, we have an in-kind donation program as well. Um, we just we have a, um, a great building, like I said, but we have a whole place for parents to go in and get essential items that they might need diapers, um, household items. Uh, We're really trying to think about relieving the stress. A lot of our families have those kinds of real um, essential needs. So there's that. And then um, going to our website, uh, we're really excited about our website because it's getting updated, but achildhaven.org would be where all of those are. Um, and then, of course, we have a lot of events that are coming up. This is like event season for us. We have fundraisers, but ours are are really fun. We have a holiday benefit bash that's coming up in December that's going to be downtown. Um, and we have a lot of other things throughout the year that are just fun to, to come to, but also just stopping by and or calling us and scheduling a tour. We would be happy to show everyone around and also um, offer some other ways that they would want to, um, they could get in um 
that they could get, what's the word I'm losing, involved. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And so that was a childshaven.org? A childshaven.org. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here Mm -hmm. and sharing with us about your program and your passion. I can see it and it's Mm -hmm. awesome. And uh, Mm -hmm. I can tell you're making a difference in the community. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and thinking to have this kind of podcast so that the community um, can be more connected and knows where to go. I think that's the best segue I've ever heard. That's awesome. You hear that, folks? I connected <laughs> by the community. So, well, uh, thank you all for joining us. And, and uh, we're here to connect with our community and with great partners like A Child's Haven. Uh, we're so thankful to be here. Uh, Please like us, share us. Um, we're on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, you can find great podcasts like this with Tanya and, and other folks in the community. So please check us out. Until we see you next time, go out and make our community great. All information during this podcast is for discussion purposes only, should not be construed as advice. Please seek the advice of appropriate professionals before acting on anything in this podcast. Past performance is not an indicator of future results. Securities through Triad Advisors, LLC, member FINRA. Advisor services through Ballantine Capital Advisors, Inc., Triad Advisors, and Ballantine Capital Advisors are not affiliated.